Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspect of running, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back. Today, I have Aaron Fredrickson joining. Aaron, thanks so much for uh, for taking the time to chat today. Yeah, thanks for having me. For sure. So first question, uh, it's always a tough one. Who is Aaron? Great question. Um, every time I listen to this podcast, I'm like blown away by the people's answers. And I tried to ask my husband about this yesterday, like, what should my answer be? <laughs> and he <laughs> was joking about how, well, your Instagram bio says that you're Aaron Fredrickson, D-O-M-P-H, Rally Distance Project alumni. So I guess that's like a good, I don't know, big picture overview of who I am. Um, I just moved to Seattle to start my family medicine residency at the University of Washington. So that's like my current identity. Um but I think over the past 20 something years, I've recognized and developed a sense of identity, like apart from what I do, which I think is mm -hmm. probably like my most important, who am I? Um, so I guess one of those things that has kind of made me who I am is that I'm the oldest of four. So I have three younger siblings and we like called ourselves the Clark team <laughs> growing up. And we're definitely like very close, even though we're kind of spread out in age. My youngest sister is 11 years younger than me. Um, but the four of us are definitely pretty, pretty tight and pretty close. And I think being the oldest made me kind of cut out as a leader. And I think that's what I've developed myself into like professionally and personally, um, both in positive and negative ways. So I think like, who am I? I would define myself as a leader. I love that so much. And that's the most thought out answer to this question that I've had yet. <laughs> and by the way, for those listening, this question started um, not as some some deep uh, philosophical question that I you know wanted to get a long answer from. It was actually because I'm lazy and I don't I didn't enjoy the the recording of an intro. And it took me t like take after take after take to get it right. And so I was delaying the the release of podcasts that I wanted to release because I didn't want to record the intro. So I was like, I, I listened to some other podcasts and they they ask their guests, you know, to describe themselves. And, and I talked to my dad about this as well. And he gave me some feedback. And then it turned into this thing that like, it's it's been fun asking people how, sort of um when they're when they're not expecting a question like that that you could consider loaded like who are you um it was funny i was having a, a chat with uh vanessa fraser um one of the bowerman athletes about 
about this question after we did our podcast. And she was like, oh, it must be fun for you. This is a tough one. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. I actually love, I love this one. So you mentioned you're a leader. Um, you're a leader. You helped to start uh, Raleigh Distance Project um, out in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, so I want to know, I, I love what, what um, as you would say, y'all have done out there. <laughs> um, so talk to me about, Talk to me about how that got started. Yeah. And, and first, first, what what is the Raleigh Distance Project for those that, that don't know? Yeah. So the Raleigh Distance Project started in 2017. We are a 501c3 nonprofit that's dedicated to developing elite distance runners and bringing the Raleigh running community along with us. Um, so we have an elite team and a threshold team. And basically the purpose of that squad um, is to really help people who have a ton of potential train in a team environment and give them all the resources they might need to succeed. Um, and so that started a little over three years ago with a core group of five or six of us. Um, and so kind of just the way that it panned out, um, Andy Cazzarelli, um, Rita Beard, and myself were like, the core group of founding officers. Um, and so basically what we did in 2017 was like write bylaws, incorporate ourselves as a 501c3, um, make a mission and vision and goals and a business plan and like really just build something from the ground up, which we had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> um, but it's really grown and developed into something that's, I think, just a, a great model for a lot of like up and coming distance running teams, um, which we did not intend to do. Um, but we've had a lot of people reach out saying like, Hey, we want to start a team. How do we do this? And being able to say like, this is what we did. This is what we learned. Do these things this way, but definitely don't do this, um, based on our experiences. That's been really fun to do. Fun to see. What are some of the, what are some of the definitely don't do this moves? Gosh, um, one of the things actually that we have learned more and more is it's so important to align with brands that share the same value, um, mm -hmm. like share the same values as the people on the team. And we've definitely done that with the brands that we're working with now. But I think in the beginning, we were kind of reaching for sponsors and people to kind of support the team and get it off the ground. Um, so one of the things I would say definitely don't do is work with a brand without signing a contract. Um, because we had some like miscommunications and um, yeah, just like unmet expectations because we didn't have things in writing. So that's like my main, <laughs> my attorney co-officer would be so proud of me for saying that <laughs> need to have a contract. <laughs> and what were some of the, what were some of the big wins early on that, that you experienced with it? I think one of our biggest wins was having Wazelle believe in us at the beginning, like before any of us did anything big. Um, we signed with Wazelle in May of 2018, which was less than a year after we started. And Andy and I had both been part of the Wazelle community um, previously, but the rest of the team was kind of like on the fringes. And we basically told them like we have huge goals and we don't have anything in like anything to prove that we can actually reach these goals, but we're going to work really hard and we're really dedicated to the community. So I think 
having, especially the support of the volley um, when we signed with Wazelle was so important for us. I think that was kind of like the big push that like people believed in us. So we were going to make big things happen. So for, for those out there who are potentially at the higher end of amateur or um, sub elite and might be thinking about something similar, what, what guidance do you have for, for someone who would look to um, start something similar? Totally. Um, I think especially for the people who are on like the faster end of amateur for me realizing like I mean I came in as a three plus hour marathoner and just by training with people who were faster than me and better than me I improved to a sub three like 30 minute PR in the marathon um (laughs) just over the course of a year and a half and I think the biggest thing is training in a team environment and having people who can hold you accountable and push you. Um, And so that kind of brings me to the other side of that is when you're on the faster end of amateur and you don't think that you can get like a sponsorship on your own. I think the collective power of team really like elevated the group um, and allowed us to kind of reach up, even though like many of us were not fast enough in theory to like land a big sponsorship, the collective power of team and the way that we wanted to bring the community along with us made us even more valuable to potential sponsors. Yeah. And I think from a, from a growth standpoint, even as an individual that, that can't be understated enough, the power of team and the power of like training with people that are faster than you sometimes marginally, sometimes significantly. Um, I have a couple of friends in Boston who so I, there's a, there's a group where, you know, it's normal to be uh, an Olympic trials qualifier and, and <laughs> I've started running with them a little bit. And so, you know, the women are two forties and the men are two teens. So the women are, you know, 10 to 20 plus minutes faster than me in the marathon. And, and when you, when you time it right, that's a good running partner to have. And, and I think it helps a lot with motivation. It helps a lot with, um, with maybe hitting harder workouts or, or, um, days that are meant to be faster versus, you know, you shouldn't be running easy with somebody who can run a marathon 30 minutes faster than you. But, um, yeah, I mean like for long runs that are meant to be fast, you know, pick somebody who's, who's, you know, pace is maybe 15 seconds faster than yours. Um, and, and, you just do that enough times and, and it becomes your normal and you grow and you adapt just like, uh, you know, even maybe even faster. Totally. And I think the other cool part about being one of the like beneficiaries of being part of the team is everyone has such different strengths. Like my training partner, when I was in the throes of marathon training was so good at long tempos and, those are mm-hmm. the hardest things for me, but I could always like crush track workouts just because those are what I was comfortable with. And I knew that I could hit fast intervals if I had recovery. And so the two of us together just like knocked it out of the park when we trained together because I would lead on Wednesdays on our track workouts <laughs> and she would lead on Saturdays during our long runs. And just yeah, knowing- you merge those together. It's a pretty stout runner. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, I was injured for almost all of 2019 um, and being able to see my teammates work together was 
just super inspiring and seeing like one of our newest athletes, Nikki Long, who ran at BU in undergrad and then moved back to Fort Collins and then started her PhD in Raleigh in uh, forensic anthropology. She started training with Sammy George, who is a 434 miler. And she went back to BU this spring, or I guess this winter, um, and ran like a four second mile PR. (laughs) And so just seeing like, after three months of training with Sammy, she just like crushed it. And I think that's, I don't know, that's just the power of team in my mind, being able to see like people progress and move forward. Yeah. And I think we've seen it time and time again, um, even in race settings, like if you work with somebody else, you're both capable of, of more than what you could do on your own. Totally. Yeah. So one of the things you mentioned is um, that you moved from the East Coast to the West Coast and you chose <laughs> to do it during a global pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> what was what was that like? Gosh, such an adventure. Um <laughs> I don't know if chose is like the best word because it's kind of a necessity. Um, So I just graduated from medical school and the way that that whole like brand of nonsense works is in March of (laughs) the year that you graduate, you (laughs) figure out. (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy. (laughs) Just (laughs) so you like figure out where you're, where you match after you've interviewed a bunch of places during the fall and So on the Monday of match week, you figure out if you matched or not. And then that Friday, they tell you where you're going. And a lot of people think like, oh, you get like a list of choices that you can pick from. And no, it just like, it's an algorithm that spits out where you're going. And so most Mm -hmm. people get like one of their top three choices and you like rank them all based on where you would want to be. But the programs also rank you. And so it's kind of this like mystery that everyone continues to buy into because we have no idea if there's any better way to do (laughs) it but yeah so I actually was like super stoked to match at the University of Washington um and yeah so I moved in the middle of a pandemic because I start family medicine residency um in the middle of June so basically like yeah I'm moving for work Um, and we drove across the country 3000 miles in the middle of a pandemic. And yeah, it was super interesting to see like the way that different States have different things set up. Um, and like what's open where and who wears masks and who doesn't. And so, yeah, it was just a really interesting social experiment to see the country basically. So you wrote a blog for Wazelle about this. Um, but for those that are obviously listening uh, right now, what were some of the what were some of the highlights or or surprises that you saw um, on your way? Great question. Um, gosh, it was funny to see like the different types of vehicles that people like tended towards in different parts of the country. So I think we when we were driving through Tennessee and Nash, like through Nashville specifically, there were so many Jeeps. And then as we got into Colorado and Wyoming, there were lots of trucks. And then we got into Salt Lake City and there were tons of Subarus. And then we kind of continued up through Oregon and there were also lots of Subarus. And now we're in Seattle (laughs) and everyone has like a, a roof rack, like Yakima storage box thing on the top of their cars. And so we feel at home because before we moved, we found one for free on next door that was like smashed in because someone forgot 
what the clearance was and drove it into a parking <laughs> structure. So <laughs> yeah, we like picked it, it just up. doesn't fit as much, right? Yeah, no, actually, we like picked it up and popped it out the top and like duct taped it. And it was a game changer, like totally saved half of our clothes from getting donated back in Raleigh. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I'm surprised you didn't see more uh, Subarus in Colorado, though. We saw a fair number of Subarus, but I think we were just mostly, I don't know, just impressed by the number of trucks because, as I mentioned, my teammate Nikki is from Fort Collins and she has a truck, which we like don't didn't see a lot of in Raleigh. And so then when we were in Colorado, we were like, oh, hey, like everyone here looks like Nikki. One of the times when I was in uh, Boulder, I actually followed the wrong blue Subaru to um, I was trying to follow somebody to to breakfast after going uh, on a run. And I followed the wrong car to a different place. (laughs) It was the same car, but the wrong the wrong place. Um, So. So you're you're starting your your family um, residency. Mm-hmm. What's what is first? Why why medicine? Ooh, great question. This is like the question I had to answer all of med school and residency <laughs> application seasons. Um, so I guess really it comes down to mentorship, um, particularly with family medicine. So. I grew up in San Francisco and then my family moved to Sonoma County, just north of San Francisco, right when I started high school. And in high school, I was an athlete and ended up going to the doctor for like the most random things. Um, I played lacrosse and kept getting like silly injuries, like getting checked on my hands from the lacrosse stick and then like having all of these problems. So I saw my family doctor a lot and ended up creating this awesome relationship with him. And he's like the quintessential small town family doctor who takes care of everyone, delivers babies, and then still like takes care of, like does prenatal care for patients who he delivered when they were born. And so it's just like that whole life cycle, um, getting to create relationships with people. And so um, he is like the reason that I wanted to go to medical school and the reason specifically that I want to be a family doctor. Um, and so then through, like through medical school, I figured out like, okay, I want to do family medicine. I thought I specifically only wanted to do sports medicine because like I mentioned, was an athlete growing up, continue to be an athlete and super passionate about making sure that everyone has opportunities to exercise and be healthy. Um, but then through a couple of projects I did during medical school, I realized that especially sports medicine, it's like a specialty of privilege in some senses. And I wanted to be able to stay broad and help people in whatever situation they're in, especially if they don't have the advantage of as like the same advantages as many people do to exercise. So family medicine is like the most broad specialty. And there are so many ways that you can serve the community through that. And so that's why I chose family medicine. Cool. What do you think it's going to be like starting in this new climate? (laughs) Great question. Um, I know part of our orientation is like online via Zoom. So that'll be interesting. Um, And a lot of our clinic visits might be using telemedicine, except we're like inpatient or like really like necessarily in-person things like procedures. 
Um, but my first inpatient rotation is in the medical ICU at the University of Washington in July. So I think that'll be a huge learning experience um, because most of the experts are recognizing that COVID is not going away anytime soon. And so I think um, it'll be like an interesting transition because for all of like March and April and most of May, I've been like, I really want to help. <laughs> like I, I wish I was one of the medical students who could graduate early and like go serve in the hospital. But now it's kind of like, Oh gosh, this is real. <laughs> and I'm like a little intimidated by it. Um, just being an intern in the middle of a pandemic, it'll be a huge, huge learning experience. So I want to know, it's like, it's such a fascinating um, like place to be mentally that, y- that you know what's going on and you're like, sign me up, send me in. Mm-hmm. What, what is that like? What's, what's your, I mean, it, it's, it seems like silly to compare it to, and silly maybe is a bad way to describe it. It seems strange to compare it to like, going to war, but we've seen it described that way. Totally. Um, and I, is that, is that sort of what you're feeling? And you're like, this is, you know, I, I'm ready. This is what I've trained for. What's, what's yeah. the, where are you with that? That's a great question. Um, there's actually a podcast that I love called the Nocturnists that just did a, like a special episode on exactly what you're asking about. Um, and I just listened to it on part of the drive and my partner was like, wow, like just thinking of the way that especially like trainees in medicine are getting thrown into it in some places, but, but not, um, maybe not adequately prepared or not knowing what they're signing up for. And so I guess my headspace, I have had a leadership position with the American Academy of Family Physicians for the last couple years and we participated in this like call es- essentially to write a policy for the AFP on medical learners in a pandemic so that's like medical students and residents um and like the thing Sorry that should be what what's yeah. the AFP the American Academy of Family Physicians got it yeah sorry um so yeah we helped write this policy that says basically like students should not be like required to volunteer, but they can if they can be helpful and if they're adequately protected. And then residents, um, especially ones with like, um, like pre-existing medical conditions that could make being infected with COVID, um, like extra dangerous. Um, they basically like no resident should be forced to, um, I guess like be redeployed is the way that we have heard it as like serving in the ICU or taking care of COVID patients. Um, so you shouldn't be forced, but if you want to sign up, you should be adequately protected. Um, and so I guess the way that I see it is like professionally and personally, like professionally, I totally want everyone to be like protected in the right place. But then personally, like I think the way the, tendencies for people who enter medicine are like the helpers um, and the people who are like jumping at the occasion to like get in there and get their hands dirty and make change and help people get better. And so I think that's kind of 
where I am at personally, like recognizing that I'm here kind of sitting around and doing nothing, like trying to be as helpful as possible in the small things that I'm doing, but recognizing like I do have skills and knowledge that can be applied and I want to use them. That's awesome. It's such a, like a, it takes a special person to, to be in that place. And it's, it's incredible to see the, um, selflessness and, um, care for others that is being displayed at this time when there's so much shit going on. And, um, (laughs) we need, we need the, the good vibes to outweigh, um, the bad, the bad stuff before I got on, before I got on to chat with you, I saw a tweet from, um, there's a, there's a show that I think it's John Krasinski. He puts Mm -hmm. on called some good news and CBS just basically acquired that, um, that show. And they said, why are, why does it have to be that news is so bad all the time? We're, we're (laughs) excited to present the, the first all good news, um, show and it's it's like we need we need these these good stories and these these discussions with people who are doing good in our community so that um all the negativity can you know go to the wayside totally i have been joking with friends about how i like kind of sandwich my news so like i listen to the daily a lot for news and COVID related things in the economy. But then I also listen to like on being with Krista Tippett and I listen to for the long run and I listen to the nocturnists and just like recognizing that my brain needs both the negative and the positive and probably needs a lot more of the positive. Um, and just like being very, uh, intentional with the things that I consume and listen to. Totally. I've heard great things about that for the long run podcast. I might have to check it out. Oh yeah, you should. It's pretty cool. <laughs> so, so switching gears a little bit, uh, back over to running. Uh, yeah. Why did you go for your? Why did you go for your? And we've gone twenty five minutes barely talking about running. I love it. Um, why did you go for your first run? Or do you remember your first Ooh. run? Yeah. Um, so, like I mentioned, I grew up in San Francisco, and I think it was like fifth or sixth grade um, when I would have gone for my first like run that was different than like a little soccer team game or whatever. Um, I like started to run for the cross country team at my elementary school. Um, and so I like went to Catholic school in San Francisco and I remember we were like still wearing our little Catholic school uniforms, like (laughs) white blouses, little red tie, plaid skirt, um, white knee high socks, white shoes. <laughs> and I remember like running a couple of laps around the long block, um, like around the gym and uh, around the gym and the playground at my elementary school. Um, so I think that was probably my first run. And there was like a hill at the end and I was like, I'm never going to be able to make it up this hill. <laughs> and I remember the, I guess like the cross country meet, there was only one of them that we were training for. And that meet was in Golden Gate Park, like near the polo fields, um, which I think is where the like USATF club cross country um, races are, which is kind of funny to think about, but the race was like a mile and 
I remember like thinking about running a mile and being like, okay, I don't know if I'll ever, like, I I don't know if I can do this. (laughs) And I think I ran it in like eight minutes or something. (laughs) And then realizing that the eighth graders had to run two miles. I was like, oh my gosh, I will never be able to do that. I was like dreading (laughs) being in eighth grade. Yeah. It's funny how it works like that. (laughs) I I remember we used to do the mile in middle school and high school and I like pretend puked one time so I could stop (laughs) at the halfway point. (laughs) Yeah. I remember thinking about being so nervous about eighth grade when I was training for like my third marathon and being like, wow, I can't believe that I was like so afraid of this. And now I'm about to run 26.2 miles. Like, just funny that perspective. Yeah, it's, it's cool how, how the perspective changes and how what's normal um, changes. And I think that's one of my favorite things about running that, you know, what used to be, what used to be like hard is now normal and what used to be, um, you know, you, what you would think as impossible is now your stretch goal. And that's, it's Mm -hmm. just cool how, how that works. Totally. Yeah. My 5k PR in high school is like slower than what my marathon 5k splits have been. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. So what are the, what are the big goals that you have? Um, or, or how are you handling running in 2020? (laughs) Great question. Um, So in 2020, we have the pandemic and uh, lack of real races. Um, And I also, like I mentioned, was injured for most of 2019. Um, And so I'm really just building back. And then I am also starting residency, which is like notorious for a lack of time for anything else besides residency. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I really think like being injured for most of last year has helped me with the perspective of like really just enjoying running for the things that it can give me and the things that I can give it. Um, and so especially moving to a new place, I'm excited to eventually figure out the running community here, um, and plug in in whatever ways that I can. Um, And then also just really commit to injury-free running and making sure that I'm doing all of the little things to make sure that I can stay injury-free. So those are like the little goals that kind of will build hopefully into big goals of who really knows. My teammates will probably get mad at me if I don't mention this because it's been something that I've talked about for years (laughs) like with a little bit of progress, but really not much. Um, I started this like as totally as a joke in probably like the beginning of 2018 that I really wanted to try to be a steeplechaser. And Mm -hmm. like, I hadn't, I've never, I've never been a steepler. Like I've in high school, I didn't even know that was an option. (laughs) And I've laid lacrosse in college and then really got into like just running for staying in shape. And so I like made the jump from running for fun to running marathons, but never really explored anything in between. Um, and I feel like the steeple is just the coolest thing ever. (laughs) And so that's like something that I really want to first learn how to do and second, get good at. Um, and just because of the type of athlete that I am, I feel like I could be good at it, but I have literally nothing to base that on. So 
big scary goals would be to qualify for trials in the steeple for 2021. And that is like a very big stretch goal. Um, but my coach is David Roche and he is like the most enthusiastic person on the planet. And he like, if you believe in yourself, he believes in you. And so he is like all on board with that, which I think is hilarious because I have nothing that (laughs) says that I could be good at this. Um, but he's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go for it. So one, be a steepler Two, try to get my marathon time to where I think like my potential is. So I ran 254 in November of 2018 and definitely think that I'm in the 240 range whenever I can like feel healthy enough to run a marathon. Um, and otherwise, yeah, just enjoy running and get fast. That's awesome. How long you've been working with David? Um, since July of 2019. So I had like basically without going into all of the details, just had some five stress reactions in my tibias, um, in like January and February of 2019 that didn't fully heal. Um, and so I like reached out to David and Megan because I had been following Megan since the beginning of medical school, basically. Cause I was like, wow, someone mm-hmm. can do medical school <laughs> and like run fast at the same time. What? <laughs> and then I like started reading her research and yeah, I just knew like, okay, if I want to like get serious about this and figure out like why these bone stress injuries aren't healing. Like I really need someone who knows what they're doing. And so I like reached out and was like, help SOS. (laughs) Like I'm trying to pile all 17 things on top of each other. Like I was planning a wedding and trying to like perform well in a sub internship, um, which is like basically a month long interview for a residency program um, and try to qualify for trials at Chicago and my shins were still hurting. And I was like, David, help. And he was like, okay. <laughs> I remember he said, like, I think you have 12 irons burning in hot fires right now. And you just need to take a pill. <laughs> I was like, thank you. This is what I needed. <laughs> yeah, it's it's awesome how they balance, uh, like, stress is stress. And that's the the swap way. It's It's mm-hmm. life. It's training. It's all of that. And it all builds up. Um, selfishly, I want to know what, what did you do to, um, to heal from the, the bone stress injuries? I also had, uh, yeah. two stress reactions in my tibias in January. Gosh. Yeah. They're so frustrating. And I think the biggest thing for me was like realizing what was stressing them and what I was continuing to do that I didn't realize was probably not what I should have been doing. So I was like cross training my butt off. Um, and not doing like zero impact cross training and I was still lifting weights. And so I think just the combination of all of those things. Oh, and like a lot of single leg things in yoga. Um, and so I think just the combination of not giving the tissues enough time to heal was what prolonged everything. Um, and the other thing was just really focusing on nutrition at the time. I like probably wasn't having enough protein, maybe not even enough calories just because I was like, oh, I'm not running like things. My metabolism was different. So I was like, okay, like this is fine, whatever. But yeah, just really focusing on the little things and not being afraid to like completely shut it down for a little while. And I think working with David gave me the 
I guess the belief that like shutting it down was going to be okay. And that the world wouldn't end if I didn't exercise for two weeks. So yeah, that was like a very important perspective. Yeah, I had the same thing. Um, I didn't run for six weeks uh, starting in at the end of January. And I had the same, it was the same experience. Like two years ago, that would have been like, that's it. The world's ending. And, Mm -hmm. and in, in my experience here in 2020, like it was not, it wasn't the worst thing that could have happened. It wasn't the best thing that could have happened, but um, I was able to manage it and, and David helped sort of shift the focus to other things and helped me Mm -hmm. realize like, yeah, I had a great year last year. That's not all, you know, for not. I just need to recover from this mm-hmm. and take some time off and you know, you'll get you'll get back to it. Um so one mm-hmm. of the things I'm learning about the tibia injury in particular or with shin injuries is it's um and I spoke with a couple of experts on this, uh both Adam 1040 at um uh, Spalding, mm-hmm. uh, who's one of the top uh, bone doctors in the country and my own chiropractor, Brian Kent. Um, and they, they confirmed or reaffirmed that, that those types of bone injuries are generally not nutrition related. They're generally not under fueling, but it's more so, um, biomechanical and, mm-hmm. and it's the way that you're loading the totally. bone. Um, and so yeah. it's like, for me, it's like, okay, now I got to figure out how to run differently. Totally. So did you, did yeah. you experience something similar? Yes. 1000%. Um, yeah, I have a, the physical therapist that the Raleigh distance project works with, um, has a 3d gate analysis that like you put the little markers on and they send it to Qualysis and they do all of these really like awesome advanced analyses. And so I have one of those from, like 2017 or 2018. And then I compared it to just a video gate analysis of what I had been doing right before I got injured, which I had changed my form just a tiny bit. Cause I, like I mentioned, had run that 254 and I was like, I swear I can run like a 240 something marathon. Like I think I can qualify for trials if I just become more efficient. And I tried to like rush that process and completely mm-hmm. changed the way that I was like my foot strike. Cause I was like, Oh, I can be more efficient this way. But then it was like three weeks and I was injured. <laughs> so yeah, when I started to come back, especially after having not run for so long, I was like, I feel like an elephant or a giraffe or a baby deer. <laughs> like what are my legs doing? Um, and so I worked with, um, a physical therapist who had like real time feedback on, um, like on a treadmill in his office. Um, and so I got to like change my gait based on like the cues I was giving myself or the cues that he was giving me and seeing that in real time. And then he would like draw the force angles and draw the vectors and all of that. And like I studied exercise and um, biomechanics in college. And so I was like, Oh, like I know what this is <laughs> like, I know what's going on. Like let's use this physics to figure out like how to do things differently. And I like just seeing like videos that my teammates had taken of me running like 540 pace recently. Like just am so like I'm so thankful that I took the time to figure out that form and recognize like okay, this is how I do this fast and this is how I do this on my easy days and like 
this is how I can continue to have good form and not let it break down. Like when I'm working really hard or when I'm tired or whatever. So yeah, definitely biomechanics has been a game changer. I need to work on that. That's my, <laughs> that's my Achilles heel right now. Um, Punt somewhat intended. Yeah. Um, so now that, um, so you mentioned consistency, you mentioned uh, focus on, you know, doing the little things and um, sort of compounding on all that to, to crack 250. Um, mm-hmm. What is, are, are you, are you signing up for virtual races or how are you, how are you staying motivated and, and engaged um, when there are no races? Good question. Um, I think just because I can run right now, I am like essentially just motivated because I'm able to. Um, mm-hmm. And I really like to push myself and I like workouts and working hard. So it's, I think I've been motivated to do that and it's been really fun. Um, I did sign up for a virtual race, um, the one um, sponsored by the Golden Coast Track Club with Nikki Hiltz, the Trevor Project one at the end of June. Um, and that's like a virtual 5k. Um, and so I have been thinking about doing that as like pre-residency, like what a time trial, like where, where's my fitness and where can I go from here? Um, so that's my, like, I guess the closest thing on the horizon. Um, I had been signed up for Boston and it's doubtful that that would happen, that will happen in September, I think at this point. So, um, really essentially like I'm running because I love to run and because I can do it right now. And that brings me joy. Um, my rally distance project teammates have like taken the Des Linden phrase of like training for life. Um, and so I think that has really been like the motivating factor. Like I know that I'm a better human when I'm able to run or when I like get outside and move my body. Um, and so that's like, that's my motivation, I would say. Awesome. Um, yeah, I think it's a good time to explore the why and explore like why you enjoy running. And it's a good time for a podcast that's designed to explore the why. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm having fun with, with, with athletes who are um, doing that sort of self-discovery uh, at, you know, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. The why is kind of funny to think about. Um, because when I think of my why, like personally, I think that answer for me is different than what others would say my why is just like their perspectives on things. And so the reason I bring that up is because if my sister, my six years younger than me, sister ever listens to this, she's going to be like, you didn't tell him that the reason you started running in medical school is because you wanted to be faster than me. (laughs) Um, so when (laughs) I, (laughs) that's like my why at probably during my second year of medical school and my sister was like a junior in high school was like, wow, Noelle is running like a 530 mile and I've never been able to do that. Can I do that? Like just the competitive edge of being like, my younger sister is faster than me. Like, can I beat her? <laughs> and that why, like during that time I was like, oh, like if she can do that, I can do that. And like, that was kind of the spark that helped me figure out like, oh, I probably have more potential here. And yeah, so just thinking of the why, like she would totally say my why was like to try to be faster than her. (laughs) That's good too. 
<laughs> yeah. So, so what, um, what are you looking forward to most, um, later this year? Good question. I think the thing I'm most looking forward to is finding a community of people, particularly if any person in that community of people would like to run with me at 5am or earlier before, um, like shifts during residency start. Um, that was like the best thing about the Raleigh distance project was we all kind of had like running as a side hustle and we were like committed to our careers and were able to fit running in creatively and just being around people like that was super inspiring. So I would love to find a community like that here. Cool. Um, yeah, I think the Seattle community is an interesting one, particularly with the, the rich, um, history of some of the, the racing and, and the number of pro and elite athletes that are, that are out in that area. Yeah, totally. Um, question about failure. When, when is a time that you experienced failure and, and what, what did you learn from it? Good question. Um, the first thing that comes to mind was basically the last three years. Um, I really wanted to qualify for the Olympic trials and the marathon and run Atlanta in February. Um, and I guess that was a failure in a sense that I, my heart was like committed to that goal. Um, but it ended up like not panning out. And I think the way that I responded, especially like being in Atlanta and watching some of my teammates run the marathon, I, I mean, I remember like being filled with emotion being like, wow, I really like really wished I was out there. I really wished I was wearing that kit. And I wish that I like had the opportunity to prove myself, but at the same time, like recognizing the accomplishments of 500 women <laughs> being able to be there was yeah. so inspiring. So I think like, I think the biggest thing was recognizing like running is bigger than me. Um, and I definitely like learned that from failure. I don't think I would have had that perspective had I like felt like a hot shot in Atlanta, like, Oh yeah, I qualified for trials. Cause that's a huge accomplishment. But I think being humbled by going for it and failing was an important life lesson that I needed to learn. Yeah. I love that. Um, I've had the same experience basically every time <laughs> I've watched the Boston marathon. Um, Mm -hmm. I've made it abundantly clear that my goal has been to BQ and actually run it. Um, and so it took me four years to be, it took me four years to BQ. I failed three times and even ran a four Oh something in the process of trying to break three. And, um, and then I, and then I BQ'd and, and it still wasn't fast enough. <laughs> and so it's, it's like, it's like, cool. You ran two fifty nine forty. But that's still too slow. Oh uh, sorry, enjoy, enjoy the sidelines again. Yeah. Um, and so, and but but it's so cool because yeah, then you get to cheer on other people and and you hear from people who, um, who remember you screaming at them, you know, mm -hmm. on the sidelines, and and that's like the Boston Marathon is what it is, or the Olympic Trials is what it is because of 
the accomplishment it takes to get there, but also because of the environment. Everybody who's watching knows how difficult it is to get there. Um, and I think that that's what makes these big, scary goals, big, scary goals. Totally. Yeah. I I think the best thing about the marathon, specifically Boston, or like really anything that's hard to do, is remembering that I think Peter Bromka says this, but like the marathon doesn't owe you anything. And yeah. recognizing that, like, I mean, I really wanted to break three hours at Boston in 2018. And I ended up running 301 and a half or something like very, very close, but like technically failed <laughs> and recognizing like... Right. Boston doesn't owe you good weather. <laughs> like it doesn't owe you a fast time. <laughs> like no matter how much time and effort you put into training, like it doesn't owe you anything, but that's, I think what makes it beautiful because you're just doing it because you love it. Not because you're expecting something great. Yeah. Peter, Peter Bromka is the most referenced uh, person on this podcast. And he says that <laughs> he says that a lot. And, and Dorothy Beale says that a lot too. And, um, mm -hmm. she's run, I don't know, f um, 50 marathons and, yeah. and it's, it's the perfect epitome of, you know, you've run 50 marathons. She's run a 311. Um, but that doesn't mean that the next time she goes out there, she's going to run a 311. I had a conversation totally. with Scott Fobble, uh, yesterday about this exact topic. He ran 209 at Boston and he went into the trials sort of, um, and I asked him what, what is what was your takeaway from, from the trials? Uh, because a lot of people were expecting him to make the team. And he said, he said, basically I got, I got humbled because mm -hmm. um, he was expecting the same thing. He was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I've beaten a lot of these athletes before. I've got a faster PR than a lot of these athletes and you still have to execute and you still have to, you know, have a good day. You still have to have everything, you know, fall in line with what you're, what you want to happen. And even, even if you have the perfect buildup, the weather could be shit or mm -hmm. you could miss a turn or you could, you know, your gel could fall out of your pocket and then you bonk because, you know, you don't have enough fuel. Um, so I, I think that's the, the beauty of it, that it, it never goes as you expect. And even when it goes, so like just as close as possible, there's still something that makes it imperfect. And I think that that's what, it, if it was perfect every time you went out there, what's the point? Yeah. What would be the point? Totally. It'd be boring. Yeah. I remember in college, um, I played lacrosse, like I mentioned in one of the years we made a shirt that said, if it were easy, everyone would be doing it. And that was yeah. like the shirt we wore to nationals. And I said that during a workout a couple of weeks ago to a few of my teammates. And I just, I feel like that is, I don't know. It's like, it's fun because it's hard. Yeah, totally. Um, I think that that's, that's, that's a perfect summary. Um, <laughs> what do you wish, what do you wish you knew when you started running that you know now? Um, I wish that I knew patience. And I wish that I knew that the only way I could learn patience was by experiencing it and experiencing the need to be patient because I had lots of people telling me to be patient and that the results would come. Um, but I think having to learn it 
was necessary. So I would tell myself to be patient, but also it's not fun to be patient. <laughs> <laughs> it's the kind of thing that like, yeah, somebody could tell you it, like you said, but you just have to learn it yeah. firsthand. I was joking with one of my old, now old teammates, um, Kimberly Maloney, who is like super wise beyond her years. Um, and we were talking about like, I'm writing a blog to summarize the last three years of my life on the rally distance project. And I was like, I cannot put this into words. So I was looking for <laughs> cop outs and I was like, well, I could write a blog that says like one thing that I've learned from every one of my teammates. And I was joking with Kim, like the thing that I'm going to write is that I should listen to you. Like I learned that I should listen to you because <laughs> she's so wise. <laughs> cool. Um, what is, uh, what is one thing that, that you wish people knew about you? Mm -hmm. Good question. I guess one thing that I wish people knew about me is that, gosh, this is a really hard question. Um, <laughs> we start with a hard one and end with a hard one. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I guess, so one of the things that I have tried to change and really haven't succeeded, and maybe that's probably a good thing. Um, one of the things that I wish people knew about me was that when I get serious about things, um, I guess like when I advocate for things, I tend to like look angry, but I think that is just me trying to show like I care about this and I really want this to change. We were on our drive, we were listening to either a podcast or a, an audiobook that was talking about how anger is a response to perceived injustice. And I think that is like a lot of what I experience looking at the world. And so recognizing like, I, I want this to change and I really care about this. And that's like the way that I am. I don't know. I get angry about things that I wish were different and would love the opportunity to like fix them all. That makes sense. Um, where can people find you if they'd like to follow along? Um, so this is actually like exciting, but also sad. I used to be like the one, the sole person behind the rally distance project, um, Instagram and Twitter. So follow them. First of all, it's not me anymore, but it's still going to be awesome. <laughs> um, and then me personally, um, on Instagram and Twitter, I'm EE Clark three, because I have not figured out what my new Instagram handle should be. I got married in August of 2019 and still haven't changed it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's me. Cool. Awesome. Aaron, thanks so much for chatting today and uh, we'll see you out there. Awesome. Thank you. Of course. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.